Good morning, everybody. So glad that you could be with us here today. Although there would be just three of us here today, the three J's are with us this morning, Joel, Josh, and Jesus. And uh, we are here in the house of God. I am looking out at an empty sanctuary. We decided to go remote this morning and, and go online due to the freezing rain and for other reasons, but we hope you're safe, you're home, you're warm, and we're so glad that you're tuned in this morning. We hope to be back here next Sunday with the house of God filled and assembling one an with one another here next Sunday with our special guest, Nick Costello. But this morning, I want to share a message to you. It's actually a two-part message. It's called Jesus, the Heart Changer and Softener. Part one will be today. Part two will be in two weeks. I'm going to be in Proverbs chapter 4 to open the scriptures up this morning. Proverbs chapter 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words which, with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. You can't help but hear an urgency of a father's appeal for his son and for the boy to learn right from wrong and to stay on the right path all his life. The word said, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. It's as though the father and the son are walking through the marketplace and all these things are available to buy. And the father is urging his son to spend all his money on wisdom more so than anything else because the price is the son's whole life. In Proverbs 4 and verse number 20, it says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The supreme thing that the father wants the son to guard is his heart. It says, for the wellspring of life. Other versions say the issues of life, for out of it are the issues of life. The issues are impulses, they are decisions, they are choices that affect the nature of a man's entire existence. When a life is corrupt, his whole life is cor corrupt. When a heart is corrupt or pure, one's whole life is pure. Here the word heart encompasses one's values and one, what one values most. Hebrew psychology uh, de have depicts the heart as the center of moral consciousness and the seat of affections. When children are small parents, you know that when you're driving around, they know exactly where the toy stores are and the ice cream parlors are. Why? Because whatever the heart loves, the ears hear and the eyes will see. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
The Bible warns of a divided heart. It warns of a cold heart. It warns of an unbelieving heart. It warns of an unclean heart. David possessed an unclean heart after his sin with Bathsheba and was unwilling to confess his sin and basically went a whole year until a prophet named Nathan confronted him. When he confronted him, he wrote a, a whole psalm called 51, and which is a psalm of repentance where he asked the Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. In Psalm 139, David asked the Lord to search me, O God, and know my heart. King Solomon warns, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. If the heart and the wellspring gets polluted, the infection will spread. Hidden appetites will become open sin, which can turn to public shame. Proverbs 28, 14, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. This is the kind of heart I want to talk to you this morning about, having a hardened heart. The ramifications of that, the dangers of that, but how Jesus can change a heart and also soften it. In an October 7, 2021 article in Biblical Counseling Coalition, author Satya Alexandre Mendes wrote a fascinating piece entitled Characteristics of a Hardened Heart, in which he spotlights this man. We're going to show you a pic of Ramses II. This is Ramses II, also known as Ramses the Great, the hard-hearted king of Egypt, the one believed to be the one in supreme power during the time of Moses and the, basically the, the bondages of the Israelites in Egypt. Ramses II, better known as Pharaoh, is an intriguing biblical figure in a fascinating narrative. As the plot unfolds, Pharaoh becomes an example of spiritual blindness in the midst of excruciating circumstances, all because of the hardness of his heart. I've said it before that pride can produce blind spots. And when it produces blind spots, one can be totally uncognizant of their own stubbornness, their own bad attitude, and their own sin. And although they're not cognizant, those that are around them are very cognizant and can see all too well. Watch now that as each one of the plagues of Egypt takes place, the Bible gives us insights into the hardened heart. These are the characteristics of a hardened heart. Number one, a hardened heart does not obey God. In Exodus 7 and verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arch. Each one threw down a staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. A hardened heart refuses to follow and obey the Lord. Point number two. A hardened heart does not change even after some relief comes from the Lord in tough circumstances. Exodus 8:12. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, 
Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Immediately following the second plague, Pharaoh, Pharaoh demonstrates a typical person with a hardened heart. Even after the relief comes, even after some relief from the Lord comes, a person with a hardened heart does not change. They're not into interchange, but they are open to outer relief. Number three, a hardened heart does not recognize the finger of God. Exodus 8, 16, then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon the men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Even the Egyptian magicians could see the hand of God. They recognized the finger of God. But hardened hearted people do not, are not cognizant and recognize spiritual realities that are happening all around them. Nor can a hard-hearted person see a God in their working in their situation, but family members, friends, saints can see what's going on. Even unsaved people can sometimes see what's going on around and even see God at work, even when a supposed spiritual person, but who has a hardened heart, cannot. Number four, a hardened heart might want something from God, but they do not hear him. Exodus 8.28 Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord, your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. After this fourth plague, Pharaoh seems receptive. He seems open. Now pray for me. But his persistent denial of letting the people go reveals that he wanted something from God, be that relief, but he will not hear God. He will not be willing to hear God. People want relief from God, but they're not willing to obey him. They're not willing to hear him. Number five, a hardened heart actually expects the word of God to fail and does not recognize its faithfulness. Exodus 9, 5, the Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that need not... Even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. Pharaoh believed that the livestock of Israel would die. Why? Because he thought the word of the Lord would fail. So he sends investigators to find out, and they bring back a report. They did not die at all. People with a hardened heart are people who expect the word of God to fail. And not only that, they despise the warnings of Scripture. They do not believe the warnings of Scripture are going to come, while on the other hand, they overemphasize the mercy of God's word, or his mercy in general. Number six, a hardened heart remains hardened 
even under severe pain, Exodus 9, 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out in men and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Just as the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh is miserable, but he is still hardened. He is still hardened. The situation is bad enough that even the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boil. Hard-hearted people will not soften despite severe pain. Number seven, a hardened heart may even say the right words. Exodus 9, 27, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord for we have enough thunder. We have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You just, you don't have to stay any longer. Just like King Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Pharaoh says the same thing. I have sinned. These are the first words that the Holy Spirit tries to bring stubborn sinners to to say. Because when they are brought to that place, that's the beginning of a road to change. A road to change. But people with hardened hearts say the right words with no intention of changing. Number eight, a hardened heart does not recognize the chaos that is all around. Exodus 10, 7, Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? Quite interesting that Pharaoh's servants were ready to let the people of Israel go. He's not, but they are, because Egypt is ruined. They see it. Pharaoh does not. People with a hardened heart don't always see chaos around them. People see the chaos all around them. They see what he doesn't see. Stubbornness of heart will blind somebody to the chaos that they are causing. Number nine, a hardened heart blames the messenger instead of recognizing its condition. Exodus 10, 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Pharaoh gets angry, but not on himself. He's angry at Moses. He's angry at God. He's angry at everybody else but himself. Stubborn-hearted people can get really angry. They should be angry at themselves, but they are angry at the messengers. Number 10, and lastly, a hardened heart will be broken beyond healing. And this is Proverbs 29.1. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Here, stiff-necked means make stiff, harden, be unyielding and resisting in an event or lack humility before a superior. Former Dallas Cowboy quarterback Roger Staubach he came into a kind of a conflict with his head coach, Tom Landry, because he wasn't able to call his own plays. Tom Landry was calling all the plays, telling Roger when to run, when to hand off, when to pass. And the pride got into Roger Staubach's uh, thinking, said, I should be able to call the plays. No matter how brilliant a mind Tom Landry was, 
Roger Starbrack wanted to call his own plays until he kind of came to a moment of truth. And he writes later, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned the joy of obedience, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. There are many Christians who have learned the value of listening to the head coach, Jesus Christ, and allowing him to call the plays. And when he's able to call the plays, there is a, a breaking of our selfishness and our arrogance. There comes an assurance of his salvation. There comes an assurance of fulfillment and victory that comes to our lives. And like Roger Staubach, when we learn the joy of obedience, there's harmony, there's fulfillment, and victory does come. As theologian Ronald Knox taught, the greatest human tragedy is not a broken heart, but a hard heart. A hardened heart is a spiritual condition that can only be changed by the Spirit of God. How long will the hardened heart person continue in their sin? One never knows. You're praying for somebody, one never knows. God, it took God basically ten judgments to break Pharaoh. It took him ten judgments, ten warnings. He's limited, yet his, his patience, his patience is, he's merciful, but his patience can only go so far. Finally, he broke Pharaoh, brought catastrophe on him and even the entire Egyptians. Hebrews 3.15, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. There is hope this morning for a hardened heart. There is hope this morning. Physically, our hearts are designed with a paper-thin lining called a pericardium. A pericardium, it's a membrane designed to surround the heart and to protect it. That's what it's there for. But sometimes the membrane thickens. And when it thickens, it begins to constrict the heart, whereas it, it begins to diminish and reduce the ability of the heart to function by 90%. And when that happens, life can not only be miserable, it can also be shortened. So what does a surgeon do? He takes a scalpel, opens up your person's chest, and he puts a slit into that thick pericardium. And when he does that, the heart becomes stronger and begins to beat you know, strong again, and the patient gets what's called a, a new lease on life. Jesus is that heart surgeon. He dealt with hard-hearted people in his time here on earth. He deals with hard-hearted people like us. And if he's allowed, he can open up our chest and put a slit in that thick pericardium of ours and get us new life. And one such life that he did that with was with the apostle Peter. And Luke 5 and verse 4, when he... Jesus had finished speaking. He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. When they had done so, they caught a, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they singled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink Watch carefully how the impact of this miracle done on behalf of Peter, how Jesus takes that, that scalpo and puts a, a slit in the hard pericardium of Peter's heart. Watch this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. 
left everything and followed him. Someone once said life is one of those precious fleeting gifts and everything can change in a heartbeat. It does here for Peter. The scripture I paint over all of that experience of what Peter had with that catch of fish is in Romans 2, how the Bible says God's kindness leads you to repentance. In other versions, it says God, goodness, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's God's goodness, God's grace when we don't deserve it. When we have a heart that is hard, it's stubborn, it's prideful, and yet we experience the goodness of God anyway. That's what leads us to repentance. Someone once said, heaven knows we need ever, never be ashamed of our tears, for they are rain upon the blinding dust of earth, overlaying our hard hearts. When we are saved, we become what's called in, well, in accounting called works in progress. We are immediately plopped down into the hands of the Lord, which the Bible calls or likens him to a potter. And the potter only works with soft clay. He works with soft clay. The softening of our hearts and our lives does not begin but by our willingness to allow us or to allow God to mold us into vessels of honor in the hands of the Lord. If the clay is hard, the Lord will begin to pour water. He will begin to pound and thoroughly till our hearts become soft, they become moldable and pliable. It took God 20 years of pouring and pounding to make Jacob's heart right and to change his name. Moses need 40 years in the desert of some pounding and some pouring before he became what's called the meekest man on the earth. When we reach for a sponge that hasn't been used in a while, one that we need to wipe down a counter or to do the dishes with, those sponges are usually, they're crispy, they're, they're, they're crusty, they're, they're hard and they're brittle. And the only way they're of any use is when you dip them in water and they become moist. And when they become moist, you squeeze out what was in there and you're ready now for fresh water and, and, and some soap and you're ready to use them. That's when they become of use. That is when they become of use. We have all come into a relationship with Christ with crispiness and crustiness and brittleness and hardness. So the Lord, like a sponge, has to pour his living water and dip us in the moisture of his grace and in his mercy and his forgiveness so as to soften our hearts and to make us of use to be as what the Bible calls a vessel of honor, fit and filled and useful for the master. Someone once said the word of God is the great cleansing water that washes away our sin and wears down the rough edges of our personalities, which makes us livable for other people. I love what the word for you today devotional had this quote I read last week. It said people are always more influenced by your attitude than your theology. Always. When they see you rejoicing in hard times. Rejoicing in hard times. A hard heart doesn't rejoice in, 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 you know, in hard times. A good soft heart rejoices in hard times. When they see you rejoicing in hard times, they're apt to wonder what your secret is. And to think whatever that person has, I need it. They become more open and receptive to the truth. A softened heart becomes a changed attitude. It becomes the person's you know, epistle that they're reading and said, boy, where you get that joy? You're going through a difficult time. 
I love it. Whatever you got, I need. That's what drew me to Christianity in the first place. A bad attitude, not so much. See, God has a way. <laughs> he has a myriad of ways of working with us and softening our hearts, and he will use anybody and anything to soften our hearts and to get us to change and even bring us to a place like Peter in the midst of his goodness to us. Lord, away from me, I'm a sinful man. I can remember back when we first arrived in this building back in the early 2000s, we had a group of parents that met here on Sunday afternoons. It's about 20 years ago. They were called Wheeling Wonders. And Wheeling Wonders was a support group of parents who had physically disabled children. They had children that could not walk but with walkers. They had leg braces. Some of them were confined to wheelchairs, hence the name Wheeling Wonders. And the children were absolutely precious. They were beautiful to watch. They would We'd clear an area for them, and they would spin around here and, and fellowship, and they were precious and beautiful children, and what a joy to watch. And the parents were great, and it was just a, a neat thing to, that was going on here. One evening, one, we had a service one Sunday evening, which we normally don't, and we had an evening service that would have followed one of the Sunday afternoons that the Wheeling Wonders were here, and we were going to have the Providence Teen Challenge women show up. They were coming through the door early. And I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to see the dynamic of these precious children with all of their setbacks and all of their disabilities running around or walking around or wheeling around and having a good time. And these women from Teen Challenge who are there for a reason because they are, their life had hardened them they were cold and some of them have stole from their parents and some of them have turned to crime and some of them their heart was you know cold and stubborn and raw and some of them to numb the pain in their lives turned to drugs and alcohol whereby becoming addicted so I was curious to watch the dynamic of these two parties kind of meeting up with one another and what it would do to the hearts of these women when they came to the door and began to engage these precious children who had all these setbacks. And I, I positioned myself and I watched it and sure enough the Teen Challenge women came through the doors early and began to engage with the children and the dynamic I was expecting to happen happened. I saw some tears going down the faces of these girls I saw joy, I saw them playing and engaging with the children, kind of like the maternal instincts in their hearts kind of kicked in, and I saw them just kind of turn into women that, you know, forgot all about their troubles and probably thought, my, my problems are nothing compared to these children, but look how much joy they have, look how much happiness they had. And I watched God just work this dynamic and how he just kind of softened their hearts and melted their hearts and even, to me, prepared them even for greater ministry that night. It was a wonder to see how God used the children to kind of melt the stone coldness of those hearts. Proverbs 15.30 says, A cheerful look brings joy to the heart and good news gives health to the bones. To bring emotional defenses down, the heart must be softened. 
according to psychologist Gordon Neufeld. Heart can only be stopped in with the cultivation of safe and caring attachment with others. It is a relationship that offers someone the promise of safety, warmth, and dependence. Folks, if your heart has become hardened by life and your prior relationships have not been safe, warm, and have not included caring attachment to others, know that there is hope. God in his supernatural way and his perfect timing who causes all things to work together for our good can not only change the heart, but he can soften it as well. I close my message out by giving you two contrasts this morning. Two contrasts. There was a teenager named Brian Warner, and I want to put that pick up for you right now. Perhaps you recognize him, and at home you're saying, I know who that is. It looks like an average, you know, kid. Picture there with his father. Brian Warner started going to church with a friend years ago, and it turned out Brian became part of the youth group. And the thing was, Brian was a skinny, kind of pizza-faced, nerdy-looking kid that nobody liked. He was a loner and looked out of place everywhere he went. There was a time the youth group went to an amusement park. When they got there, the youth pastor told the kids, okay, pair up everyone so nobody gets lost, nobody gets left behind. But nobody wanted to hang out with Brian because he was such a nerd and so unpopular, so unlikable, he was basically left to himself. Weeks went by and Brian went to church, came there occasionally. Nobody would pay him any mind. Nobody really paid much attention to him, so eventually he quit. Eventually he left and sadly nobody seemed to notice. Years later, that youth pastor got a call from one of the teens that had been in that youth group. The former teen asked, do you remember Brian Warner? The youth pastor didn't. The former teen said, let me refresh your memory. He was a skinny, nerdy kid that nobody liked. The youth pastor said, oh, yeah, I remember him. Whatever happened to him? The former teen said, well, he changed his name. He took the first name of Marilyn Monroe because she committed suicide and the last name of Charles Manson because he was a serial killer. Now he calls himself Marilyn Manson. He formed a band, and all the members have taken the first name of a movie star and the last name of a serial killer. One of his albums is titled Antichrist Superstar because he once said it was his goal to totally wipe out Christianity. So Brian Warner went from this to that. We can show the next pick. Now let me contrast Manson's hardened heart with some more softer ones. On April 28, 1999, just eight days after the Columbine shooting, Brian Warner, now shock rock, Marilyn Manson was scheduled to do a, and perform a concert in Iowa City, Iowa. And since Manson's music was prominent in the lives of the Columbine killers, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, there was a lot of emotion surrounding the concert. Mark Forstrom, a local youth minister in the area, wrote about what happened. The police, the media, and the community began to prepare for angry protests and ugly brawling between Christians and Marilyn Manson supporters. Suddenly, something totally unexpected happened. Emerging through the vehicle of email, another local movement suddenly sprang to life. 
that the only way to truly change our moral climate is to soften hard hearts. The hearts of Manson fans had been hardened by their perception that Christians are mean-spirited, hateful, and judgmental. Thus, the idea was birthed to unravel that stereotype by encouraging Christians to show the pure love of Christ to these fans in tangible ways. Concert day finally arrived and tension filled the community. The media geared up for an ugly battle between Manson fans and the Christian opposition. Instead, what they observed there was an amazing testament to the power and love of Christ. Scores of Christians from churches all over Lynn County and as far away as Des Moines, two hours away, converged on the sidewalks outside the Five Seasons Center to do two positive things, pray and show unmistakable love. It was a sight to behold. Groups conducted prayer walks around the arena. People prayed in huddles on the sidewalk. Churches around the city held special prayer meetings. As for showing love to the fans, one church purchased 100 pizzas, which were freely given away to the fans in line and bystanders. Cookies and over 1,200 cans of soda were purchased or donated and distributed. Someone made turkey and cheese sandwiches and gave them away. One pastor asked Manson fans who passed by how he could pray for them. About 20 shared specific things and were prayed for on the spot. After the concert, about $200 in cash, collected mostly by a local youth group, was given out to pay for parking in the parking ramp. The Christians evolved saying, we're Christians and we'd like to show you God's love by paying for your parking tonight. The immediate results of this love in action were phenomenal. People continue to ask, why are you doing this? And then listen to the answer. Two live radio reporters, one on the inside the stadium and one outside, discussed on the air how preferable it was to be outside with the generous Christians than inside. At least three people gave their lives to Christ through the loving care of the Christians. At least one other fan that we know of chose not to go to the concert, ending up in church the following Sunday. After getting the pizza, one kid commented, Wow, Marilyn Manson never gave me anything. A Marilyn Manson website reporting on our Christian response admitted, So maybe those Christians aren't bad after all. As for the concert itself, we saw God work a miracle there as well. After only an hour, Manson abruptly ended the concert early. He suddenly flew into a rage. He threw his microphone to the ground and stormed off stage never to return. So to summarize the totality of Marilyn Manson's visit to Iowa City, we might say this. Many fans came to, to the concert convinced that Christians were irritating and that Marilyn Manson was impressive, and many left the concert feeling that Marilyn Manson was irritating and that Christians were impressive. Don't let your heart become hardened like a Brian Warner or even a Pharaoh. Don't let it. Let Jesus, the heart changer, the heart softener, pour, pour by his wonderful Holy Spirit, his life-giving, heart-softening water so that your heart can become pliable, moldable, useful in the hands of the master potter. Let him by his word, let him by his spirit, let him by the prayers of the saints and those around you do that work in your heart. Don't let it become hardened. It's too late for that. Let God make your Christian life and witness as impressive 
as the lives of those Christians that ministered at that Marilyn Manson concert, even as impressive a life and a witness in the midst of this very irritating world. In Ezekiel 36 and verse 24, the, make, the Lord makes this promise to the nation of Israel, but which certainly implies to us Gentiles. It says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Give your whole heart to Jesus no matter what your heart is like. Stony, cold, brittle, crusty, crispy, whatever it is, whatever your heart is this morning. Give it all to Jesus. Surrender your heart to Christ, the heart changer, the heart softener. And he can give you joy. He can give you victory. He can give you fulfillment. And he can make you a winner. And he can make you an impressive Christian this morning. Like I said, in a very irritating world. Let me just pray with you this morning. Father in heaven, I just pray right now, Lord God, for those who have, Lord, viewed and have tuned into your word this morning. I pray, O oh God, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would pour, Lord God, the life-giving water, the life-giving water from the fountain of life, Jesus Christ, on every heart that, Lord God, is watching this morning. I pray, O oh God, that, Lord, take a stony heart out of us, Lord, and give us, Lord God, instead a heart of flesh. Sprinkle, Lord God, that water upon us. Let us be moldable, pliable clay in your hands, O oh potter. That, Lord God, our lives, Lord God, would be, Lord, just made into vessels of honor. Fit and filled and ready for the master's use. Touch every heart, Lord God, that is watching right now, whose head is bowed, whose eyes are closed. Touch every heart, every life. Lord, fill every home with your spirit. Fill every life, Lord God, with your very spirit and your presence. And, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would be our heart changer and our heart softener. Thank you, Lord God, that we are works in progress. We're not finished yet. You're not done with us yet, Lord. We're not what we used to be, but Lord, we're on our way to becoming what you want us to be. Lord, we ask all this in the precious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for watching this morning. May the Lord richly bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Thanks for much, so much for tuning in today. God bless you. Love you much. We'll see you soon.